The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Um, Listen, we're coming to a text this morning that has so much relevance for us in our lives today in our church. Um, I know that we're looking at a text that was written a long time ago. I get that. Um, but what we're going to see is uh, the crazy thing is that the things that we see in this text, the things that we see in this section, church, it's like they were written to us today. It's like they knew, they know us. It's like God's word is speaking directly to us because it is. And, and I think we're going to be able to see that. And I want to add, it's not only important for us this morning, but what I sincerely believe as I've been looking at this, and honestly through our whole time in First Timothy, this is not just important, there is a sense of urgency as we come to a text like this. Um, urgency meaning it is speaking to something we are facing today. So this is important, this is urgent, and that's why I can't wait for us to get into this. So our text this morning is going to be 1 Timothy 4. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to finish it out. Not the whole book, for, uh, just chapter 4. Um, so let me read it. Uh, we'll pray together, and then we'll get to work unpacking it together, okay? So our text, the Apostle Paul says this, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing or by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. God, we come um, open-handed to your word this morning. And I pray that as we come to this text, that you, would, that you would work, that you would speak, that we would listen. God, I feel a sense of urgency in this, and I just pray that um, you would help us to apply this well in our lives, in our church, in our families, our community today, for your glory and by your power, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, um, I don't know if you noticed, but right off the bat, this text that we just that I just read that we're looking at is full of like things for things to do. It's like the most the text that is the most full of propositions we could ever look at. There's command after command. It's just things to do. It tells us to do a lot. Like if you look at it, if you just scan it, verse 11, you have command, then you have teach. 12, set an example. 13, devote yourself. Uh, 14, don't neglect your gift. 15, you have practice. Then you have immerse. 16, keep watch, persist. Like, come on. There's a lot to do here. Command after command. We see in this text. So what do we do with a text like this where we have so much to chew on? 
Um, listen, before we get started chewing, I think it's important for us to be reminded what we're actually dealing with in this text. Remind us of what, is, what was going on here and, and, and the context to this really matters. Um, what we've seen throughout 1 Timothy is that this church was under intense attack. Um, only it wasn't the kind of attack that we would normally think. It wasn't like persecution. They weren't getting drugged, dragged out of their homes and arrested and beaten with you know, sticks or something. That wasn't it. It wasn't persecution. Now, that did certainly happen. We've seen in other texts in the New Testament where the church did absolutely face this, but that was in Ephesus. The church here in Ephesus were, uh, were facing a more subtle, more hidden, and in so many ways, I'm going to argue more dangerous attack than that. Um, they were not being attacked with swords. They weren't. But they were being attacked with false doctrine, with lies, with mistruths. They were being misled. They were being deceived. They were being attacked. Now, you might hear that and think, okay, you built that up too much, Pastor, because that doesn't sound that bad. Like, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words we never hurt, right? Wrong. Like, you, maybe you heard me just say that and say, Pastor, I would much prefer to be lied to than to be beat down with a stick. Now, on some level, I agree with you. I'll give you that. But the more I thought about it, and as more time goes by, actually, I'm not so sure. I want you to think about it like this. Um, I'm going to argue that the, the kind of attack that the church in Ephesus was facing was in many, many, many ways even more dangerous. Um, it reminds me, you don't have to turn with me here because of time, uh, but in Matthew 10, Matthew, in Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send out his uh, disciples. And in this new phase of his ministry, he's sending them out. And he's sending them out into the mission field, like sending them out. And, and he, in the process of sending them, actually is warning them as well. And in Matthew 10, he warns them what they're going to face. It's going to be life-threatening. He says in Matthew 10, 16, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. That doesn't sound good. It's life-threatening. That's scary. That's persecution. Um, you're going to face this on behalf of the gospel. But then he says, just a few verses later, verse 26, have no fear of them. In verse 28, don't fear those who can kill your body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus says, persecution's coming. Don't fear that because they can't touch you. As my disciples, they can't touch you. And throughout history, guess what? Through all over the world and in all times, we've seen the people of God face pressure and persecution, face death. We've seen those who know what it means to follow Jesus when it's costly, to be part of a church when it costs them, even their lives. We've seen this. And, and yet through it all, we've seen the church stand, the church endure. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. It's not that we should be here and going, bring on the persecution. That's crazy talk. Like, don't do that. That's, that's what crazy people say. We shouldn't ask for it. But here's the thing. We should also not fear it. We should not fear it. 
God has this way of taking what was meant for evil, turning it for the good. He has this way of using even persecution to fan the flames. We see church planting movements that are birthed out of persecution. Just do some research on the underground churches. China, Iran, you pick it. God has a way of using that. But here's the thing, that's not what Ephesus is facing. Let me paint a better picture of what Ephesus was facing. Not people with swords and stones, but people who were within the church and outside the church who were attacking not the physical body, but their doctrine, the core of what they believe. There were those who were editing, modifying, changing, adding to, subtracting from the truth of this, the truth of the gospel. They were taking it and they were modifying it. It was an attack on what the church stands on, the very foundation. That's what was being attacked. And over time, here's the sad thing, is that these attacks on doctrine, on what is true and what scripture teaches, there were people who were believing the attacks and being led astray. And in, in 1 Timothy, we've already seen this multiple times because this is what First Timothy, what Paul's dealing with in 1 Timothy. We've seen him call them silly myths and speculations and false teaching. We've seen him call out the false teachers and even call them satanic. We see at the end of chapter one, I believe, where he says that it leads to a shipwreck of the faith. Like we've seen Paul dealing with this kind of attack here Here's the way I want us to think about it today. As we set up and we deal, we walk through this text, I want you to think about it like this. When the church is sure about what we believe, when the church is sure about what we stand on, our salvation, when we stand on this and we do not budge and we're firm, we have this firm foundation. And, and here's the thing, no one can come against, no weapon can come against us and prosper. When we are sure on who we are in Christ and what Christ has done, Jesus says the gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. The church will stand. The church will endure. I don't care what kind of storms, what kind of persecution. They have no chance. That's on this hand. But on the other hand, when we are not sure, when we are not certain, when we budge, when we're not firm in what we believe, what we hold to, we will crumble and we don't even need a storm. We don't even need persecution. We'll just crumble on our own. Simplode. We have no foundation. Church, our foundation matters. What we believe and what we hold to matter deeply. This church was facing an attack, and it wasn't on the, the outside physical stuff. This was an attack on their very foundation. It was deadly. All of these propositions, everything we just read, um, they're not random. All of these propositions and commands that Paul is giving um, us here, this is really an action plan, if you will, against facing this kind of attack in the church. This is how we push back against it. So let me brought, bring you back to where I started. How relevant is this for us today? 
especially as the American church. Church, we literally face deadly attacks today. We face the potential for a shipwreck of the faith, to use the language that Paul uses. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of of persecution from out there and like what they could do to us and like swords and stones kind of persecution. Like I, I, I'm not afraid. Now I'm not rooting for it. I'm not like saying, bring it. Like I'm not, don't do that. That's not what I'm saying either. I'm really not afraid of it, but do you know what does keep me up at night? What I think about a lot, do you know on a pastoral level, what really gets me and wrecks me and it's the attacks on what we believe in our foundation that would weaken our very foundation and mislead. How do we push back against this kind of attack? How do we fight against it, guard against it? Church, I want to argue this morning that we fight against this kind of attack the same way, the very same way that Paul gives us here for the church of Ephesus to fight against this kind of attack. And all these commands and propositions, they're not random. I'm going to argue that they really form two different categories. Um, They really boil down to two things. And this is what we're going to center on today. Boils down to something called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. These are fancy words. I've used them before. Love them, like them, leave them. It doesn't bother me. Um, But this is exactly what we're going to see repeated in our text today. Um, If we're going to face the attacks in our church, we are going to do it through orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Ortho, so orthodoxy, ortho means right, correct. Doxy means doctrine, so right belief, right doctrine. And orthopraxy, ortho meaning right, correct, praxy meaning practice. So if you look at this, it's what we believe and what we do. Doctrine and and practice, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. This is how we are going to fight against this very real attack in our church and in the church. We're going to push it back against it. Two things matter. What we teach and believe, right belief, and how we live and what we do, right practice. This is very simple. Um, Let's say it differently. If we're going to push back against the attack, it matters first that we know this, that we believe this, that we hold to this, and that we obey this, that we live our lives by this, and that we trust this in our daily lives. And this morning, we're going to unpack that um, together. And again, so timely. Verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. By the way, that calls us to look back a little bit. If you were to look, I wish I could go like three hours this morning. I was really on schedule to go very, very long. I am doing my best here. Um, But if you were to go back and look, you're gonna see these things repeated all throughout. So as we look back, what are these things? Well, these things are the truth of who Jesus is. It's, It's what Paul has been laying out to Timothy already in this letter. He says, command and teach these things. Come back to the word of God. Teach and command these things. In, uh, in verse 12, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. Um, okay. 
how could he say that? Like, like what's he saying here? Isn't maturity, isn't that a valuable thing? Um, don't you want your pastor to be mature? Yes, you do. You absolutely do. But here's the thing. True Christian maturity is not always chronological. It's not always neat and tidy, and it often does not correspond to physical age. I wish it did. It would be a lot easier just pastorally to know where we are. You could just ask a question, how old are you? How long have you been following Jesus? Okay, I know where you are. That is not, no. Um, but here's the thing. There are some older people who are far less mature than their physical age would indicate. There are some older people who are very mature in their faith. And at the other side, there are some younger people who are far more mature than their age would indicate. And there are some younger people who their age is a pretty good indication, right? <laughs> we see both. We see both. What I'm saying is that physical age is not always the best indicator of spiritual maturity in Jesus. And here's what we know about Timothy. Here's what we know about him. Timothy was young in age. I don't know how young. We don't know. We can speculate. There's a lot of speculation. We don't know. We know he was young, though. Uh, but here's what we also know. He was mature in his faith. We know that Timothy was the product of a robust and faithful discipleship in his home growing up. Um, he had been discipled. In fact, I put this up here before. We need to do it again. Uh, in 2 Timothy, next letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, little Timmy. I'm reminded of it. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What does this mean? It means that Timothy has been raised in the faith, discipled in his home by these godly women who poured into him into this multi-generational discipleship. That was Timothy's world. He may have been young, but he was not young in his faith. He was sincere, mature in his faith because discipleship matters. Discipleship in the home matters. So Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let them despise you because of your, your physical age, which by the way, I have to believe that this was more of an encouragement to Timothy than it was for the church. It was written to Timothy. So as I think about this, it's like Paul reminding Timothy, hey, you are the man God's chosen for this in this church. Don't let them despise you. You are the man God's chosen for this. So Timothy, don't despise yourself. Don't doubt yourself. Don't question. God has called you. He is with you. Continue to be faithful in this ministry. And then he adds to it. He says, don't let them despise you because you're young. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Don't focus on being too young Focus on living this out. It's so simple. Live out the gospel. Follow this. Follow Jesus. Set an example of how to talk and act and how to love and lead and how to walk in purity and love. Do that. Do that. Paul's telling Timothy, it matters what you do. This is 
going to those ortho words, um, orthopraxy. It matters what you do, Timothy. It matters how you live. You're going to push back against the attack that this church is facing. Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to focus on living in accordance to the word of God. Focus here. It matters how you live, how you conduct your life. Not because you're saved by your works. Please don't go down that road. Not because you are saved by what you do. Scripture is so clear. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Okay? That's how you're saved. Um, But your life now in Christ is meant to be an example for others to see. Meant to be a light. Meant to be an example. And it's meant to push back against the attacks of the enemy. It matters. This is true for pastors, leaders like Timothy in this church. It's true for all disciples of Jesus who are going to stand against the attacks of the enemy. It matters what you do. It matters how we live. And it's not just that. I want to expand this a little bit. Look at verse 13. Until I come, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Here's the thing. It matters what you do, Timothy, on an individual level. But I want to be very clear here, church. It matters what we do together as the church. Orthopraxy matters on a church-wide level. Here's what I mean. If we're going to push against the attack this kind of attack in the church, it matters what we do together when we gather as the church. Sometimes I have to stop and I have to wonder, like, how are we doing as the American church? I have to wonder, like, is this what Jesus had in mind for his church? Would he be pleased with all of this? Listen, I have been just so convicted by this, convinced by this, um, Scripture does not just call us to gather as the people of God, which it does. And, and God does not just care that we gather as the church, with which he does. I am convinced and convicted that Scripture also gives us God's plan for us as we gather as the church together. He doesn't just care that we gather. He cares what we do when we gather. And here's the thing. There's flexibility in this. I know churches look different. We're in different contexts. And, but here's the thing. God cares about what we do together as the church. And central to what we do together as the church is this. Central. We must, church, be centered on this. That is exactly what Paul is saying In verse 13, until I come, I want you to publicly read this, proclaim this, exhort in this, teach this. So in other words, this is our marching orders. You want to push back against what is false? Stand on this. Preach this. Sing this. Teach this. Pray this. Remember this. Teach this. Stand on this. I mentioned a few weeks ago that... um, why we chose to include the, the, the two words Bible church at the end of our name um, is because of this conviction. This is, this is why. If we're going to push back against the attacks of the enemy in our church, attacks at our very foundation, it matters what we do. And what we do is we center ourselves on this. 
constantly. And it's my prayer as an elder here, um, as a pastor here, as a leader here, it's my prayer that no matter your background, no matter what you, like, if you, if you like this church or not, okay, listen, my hope and my prayer is that no matter what, that you can be confident, no matter what day you come, no matter what time of year you come, no matter who is up here preaching, no matter who is leading a group, my prayer is that you at Stone Oak Bible Church can be confident that every time you gather, we will gather around this. Amen. That is mission success for us because it matters. It matters what we do together. Um, what this means is that you are not here, well, you should not be here uh, to hear motivational words um, to, you know, be entertained or inspired. I hope not to be boring. I really, I don't want that. Um, I don't want to be rude. And I, I want, obviously, I want to be welcoming. But here's the thing. You're not here to just come and be inspired by some speaker, whoever it may be. We're here to come around the preaching of God's word. And that means that here, this needs to be center stage all the time, every time. It must be center stage because this is true, remains true, and our calls to teach this, which leads us from orthopraxy, what we do. Let's shift now to let's go into some orthodoxy. If we fail to faithfully teach this, believe this, hold this, is there any wonder why we are so prone to attacks from the enemy that would get us to just stray just a little bit? Paul says, um, Timothy, um, push back against these attacks by teaching the word of God and clinging to the word of God. That means that for any pastor, for any elder, please don't rely on your cleverness to get people to come to the kingdom of God. <laughs> you will fail. Rely on this. Trust this. Teach this. Center on this. And Paul says in verse 14, um, don't neglect the gift you have, and which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Quick pause here before we move on. Um, what we see here is Paul encouraging Timothy in his own unique gifts. And I got to pause here because, church, you have been given gifts as well. You have. And, and Scripture is clear that as a follower of Jesus, you've been given gifts, and they're not for you to enjoy and make yourself look awesome. They're given for you to be used in and for the church. That's what they're given to you for. And, and that means, this is a shift that I think we've got to make as the church. Do you know what my job is then? Sometimes people call me a minister, and I don't like it. I'm a minister just like you're a minister. Um. My job is not just to do all the ministry. Like, you don't pay me to do all the ministry that this says. You're not off the hook on that one. Um, I'm not the professional that gets to minister. My job, more specifically, is Ephesians 4. That, that says, and he, that's Jesus, the head of the church, gave apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers... Same word there that is used for pastor. So he gives these elders and pastors to the church. And why? Why does he do it? To do everything in them? No. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
for building up the body of Christ. In other words, my job is to help you identify your gifts to come around you, to equip you in what God has called us to do as his church. That's my job. And here Paul is telling Timothy, um, don't neglect this. And I, I, wanna, I want to read that very slowly one more time. As I do, I want it to smack you between your eyes, okay? Do not neglect the gift you have. Church, brother, sister, do not neglect the gift you have. How can you use your gifts? Are you using your gifts? Church, it's time to use your gifts. And I hope that I am able to come alongside of you and help you in this because we cannot neglect the gifts that you have been given. And then Paul says, um, he points to this in verse 14, this laying on of hands. He says, don't neglect the gifts, which was given to you by prophecy when the elders came around you, this council of elders, and laid their hands on you. What is that? I wanted to call this out just, just real quickly. I want to be very clear here. The council of elders here in this text, they didn't come around Timothy and go, and like give them, empower him with all these gifts. How do I know that? Because no man does that. Like the Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual gifts. Okay? So this isn't like a like thing like this. Like we're not imparting the Holy Spirit is doing this work and giving gifts to Timothy and to, this is the Holy Spirit's job. He empowers. And so what's going on here as the council of elders come around and lay hands? I think this is best understood as the practice that we continue to practice today. Um, we have practiced this before. And actually, we are going to get to practice this again in just a few weeks. It looks like, like this. Go ahead and put that up there. Um, several months ago now, we sent out a group from within us to go plant a church on the west side of San Antonio. To plant another church. They filled our, hand, our, our stage and we came around them and we put out our hands and we came around and laid hands and prayed on them. Prayed for them. Commissioned them out. Now, were we imputing power to, him, to them in this moment? <clears throat> no. What we were doing is coming around them and we were affirming the gifts that we have seen the Holy Spirit give them. Right. We were affirming that we see this in you. We were coming around them and praying for them this prayer of blessing as we commissioned them out. That was such an incredibly beautiful moment. That's what this text has in mind. I like to think of when Timothy was young and going out to this church in Ephesus being surrounded and prayed for, sent out. That's what is on. And just a heads up, we get to do this again in just a couple weeks. And on August 17th, or 17th, no, 27th, we get to do this again this time um, for Jacob and Sophia. If you don't know them, you will, um, who are about to head out, back out onto the mission field. Overseas missionaries, we are about to come around them. And so on August 27th, we get to practice this test. Be there for this. This is important. We get to come around them, affirm them, pray over them, and pray a prayer of blessing over them as we commission them out. We get to do this. I love that. I love that. But here's what we see here in this verse. We have Paul calling Timothy. Remember that moment. Look back to that moment. 
when we laid hands on you, affirmed you, and, and sent you out. He looks back to that, and he calls him to look back to that for encouragement and strength. And then he says in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things. I love that language. It's like jumping full-blown into a swimming pool, just full-blown, just immersing yourself in these things. And that's what he calls him to do. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, verse 15, so that all may see your progress. It's exactly what we see in, in, in what Paul said in, in verse 12 already. It matters what you do. It matters how you live your life, right? And then he says in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. I love this command because that job's never done. It is done. One day when you see Jesus face to face, it's done. Until then, it's not done. We keep going. You're not going to get up to a point where you're saying, good, I have kept close watch. I'm good now. No, it's an ongoing. In fact, he's about to say persist in this. It means keep going. You're, you're not done. He says, keep watch. Be vigilant. Keep watch over two things. One, yourself and your actions, orthopraxy. What else? On yourself and your teaching, the doctrine, the teaching, orthodoxy. These things matter, church. They matter. If I were to boil this down, just bring this down to one more level. Listen, do you know how we are healthy as a church? We're healthy as a church. Yes, leadership matters. We've talked about that. Pastors, elders, having healthy leaders and healthy group leaders and deacons and teachers. Leadership in the church matters if we're going to be healthy. Yes, absolutely. But ultimately, as a church family, our health is about the health of our members. Scripture compares the church to a body. And uh, that imagery is help helpful because unhealthy members, unhealthy body parts make unhealthy bodies. There's no getting around that. What we believe and what we do matter on a church-wide level. But church, even more fundamental than that, what you believe and what you do, it matters first on an individual level. How you live your life, what you believe, how you practice your faith, how you teach, it matters. You might hear that and say, well, I'm not a pastor or an elder or a teacher, so this text doesn't apply to me. Come on now. We've told you you're wrong every week, but I'm going to say it again. Wrong. Wrong. If you think back again to Timothy, think back. Who showed him what it meant to follow Jesus? Who showed him the truths of the faith? Was it Pastor Paul? No, it was Lois. No, it was Eunice. Here's the reality. If we're going to be healthy and we're going to push back against these attacks of the enemy in our church, it's going to take Pastor Paul's. Yes, and amen. But it's also going to take Lois's and Eunice's. Whether you realize it or not, you have a part to play, and I'm going to argue it's not a minor part. It's a major part to play in protecting you and our church from attacks from the enemy. Your theology matters. And by the way, I am going to give you um, one of my greatest pet peeves. Don't you dare say what I'm about to say, okay? Um, this is such a pet peeve for me. I, it, really, it really bothers me. 
When I hear people say, not people, when I hear the church say, I'm not a theologian. Oh my goodness, I want to come unglued. I want to come unglued. It is my pet peeve. Don't say it because yes, you are. Like we all are. The question is not whether or not you are a theologian. The question is whether or not you're a good one, a faithful one, one that's true. You have a theology and it comes out. It comes out with your kids. It comes out with your interactions with your coworkers, your family. It comes out with your neighbors. Your theology bubbles out. You have one. Are you a good one? It's our call to be a good one. To come back to what matters. Orthodoxy. Orthopraxy. They matter on a church-wide level, but just as crucial, it's for you on an individual level. Timothy is being called here by Paul to examine both his behavior and his theology. There's a commentator that says, moral and doctrinal faithfulness are the inseparable twins of the Christian life. That was true for Timothy. True for the church of Ephesus. It's true for you. It's true for me. And it's true for Stone of Bible Church. So I have two questions for you this morning. They're gonna be weird, but I don't care. I'm gonna put them up here. Question number one. Are you growing in your knowledge of God through his word? Are you growing in your orthodoxy? If you're here and you say, I'm not a theologian, yes, you are. Are you growing in that? How are you growing in that? Do you know what you believe? And I'm not asking about your opinion about what you believe. Do you know what you believe and do you know why you believe it? Are you growing in this? To use the language of our text, are you devoting yourself to this? Are you immersing yourself in this? Are you persisting in this? Are you keeping watch in this? Um, Ross talked about this last week, but we talked about how we spot counterfeits. And the way you spot counterfeit bills is we don't just get you to go and study every possible counterfeit. That would, it's not possible. What do you do to spot counterfeits? Will you train people to know deeply in every aspect of the real thing? If we're gonna protect ourselves from counterfeits, we need to know the real thing. Are you growing in this? Are you developing in this? Are you taking the next steps in this? And listen, I know some of you might be here and you think, I'm just not all that hungry for this right now. Like to me, picking up this and just reading it sounds brutal. I'm not really that interested right now. Maybe you feel the ebb and flow of life and you're like, I'm in an ebb. I get it. I get it. Here's my encouragement to you though. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we just simply can't afford to ignore this. So whether or not you're particularly hungry, there's food on the plate. I just encourage you to come to it. Start somewhere. Start small. How can you grow in this? How can you sharpen in this, grow in orthodoxy? With that, question number two, you can probably guess where I'm going. Are you growing in orthopraxy? Are you growing in your obedience to God through his word? Are you growing in practice? Are you living this out? Church, if, if you examine your life, are you bringing your life under this and submitting yourself even when you don't fully understand it? Are you submitting to yourself to what God has to say in his word? 
It's not just enough to know vaguely about the truth. Are you living it? To use some of the language again from this text, are you devoting yourself to this? Are you practicing this? Are you persisting in this? How can you take the next step of obedience today? How are you growing in this? What needs to be your next step? Do you know God's truth and does your life declare that truth? Church, this is our calling today. This is how we collectively push back against this attack. Both orthodoxy, orthopraxy, they matter. They matter together collectively as a church and they matter individually. Now, um, this was Paul's call to Timothy. And I want us to see how Paul finishes this text. He says, persist in this, for by doing so, you're gonna save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, that could be a sticky statement. But hear me, I don't want you to get led astray here this morning. Um, Don't get off track. Don't miss what Paul is saying here. This text does not mean that we save ourselves, like in a salvation sense, in a justification sense, forgiveness of sin. Here's the thing. Only Jesus does that. You don't. Only Jesus does that. Um, This is not talking about salvation from sin and death and hell. It's not talking about justification. Again, you don't do that. Jesus does that, period. So what is Paul talking about? Here's the better question. What are we being saved from here in this text? If it's not death, sin, and hell, and damnation, what is Paul saying that we can save ourselves from? And what is Paul saying that we can save others from? Well, in context, that's why context matters. He's not talking about saving ourselves from the fires of hell. He's talking about saving ourselves and others from false teaching from being led astray. That's the salvation that Paul is talking about here. In other words, through persisting in these things, we can endure the attacks of the enemy on us and on our church. He says, persist in this because when the world gives way, you can save yourself from stumbling into foolishness if you stay rooted in this. You can help protect the people you love and you walk with in your community from going off into crazy places you stick to this and stand to this, stand on this. Look, an attack is coming and it's a dangerous one and it's, it's an attack on what we believe. And so stand firm, teach this and live by this. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, this will never fail. And I want to encourage us with one final thing this morning. Um, Paul was writing this to Timothy and he was writing this to a very real church in a city of Ephesus about very real attacks that they are facing. You want to hear something really cool? At least I think this is really cool. You might hear this and be like, okay. But this is so cool. If you were to fast forward to the very end of your Bible, uh, just the very, very end, last, uh, last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you would see that Jesus gives a report card to seven churches, one of which happens to be our church here in Ephesus. And do you know what Jesus says about the church in Ephesus? Verse two, he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Okay, how cool is this? Jesus is commending them 
for their fight against false doctrine. This church just got this word from Paul. And here's the coolest thing. They listened and they did it. And Jesus commends them for it. How incredible is it that Jesus is commending them for the way they pushed back against this attack? I love this because it gives me so much hope. If they can hear it and they can listen, church, today we can listen as well. Now, we're going to get to this a little bit later, not tonight or today, but in 1 Timothy, not all of Jesus' report card to this church was positive in Revelation 2. We'll get to that later. But I want you to listen to how Jesus finishes this progress report. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of those Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus says, you have done well to protect orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You have stood out against what is false, and you have hated their works and their practices as I have. And then he gives them this hope that says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. What a hope we have in Christ. So the call this morning from this text is simple. Stand on this. Add nothing to it. Subtract nothing from it. Stand on this. Persist in this, both in what we teach and in what we do, both in our beliefs and in our behaviors, both in our theology and in our lives. Dedicate your life to understanding this and living this because no attack of your enemy will prosper. Nothing. In doing this, we stand firm on a foundation that will never, ever, 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 ever fail. Amen?